I'm Fred Faulkner, a husband and father with a passion for marketing and technology. I work at a top 50 consulting agency leading marketing for the growth and innovation team. On this podcast, I share my thoughts, opinions, and experiences in business and in life. This is my view of the world, according to Fred. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the According to Fred, the podcast. My name is Fred Faulkner. I'm your host. This is episode two. Today, we're going to talk about ecosystems and my love-hate relationship with them as a, not only as a consumer, but as a marketer. And we're going to start with my, my kind of love-hate on the consumer side. I am now in the fall of 2019 going into my biannual new uh, phone purchase. And with that comes a lot of decisions on how I want to integrate uh, something that's basically in my possession 24-7, 365 into my life and the tools and other solutions that go with that. I'm now going to be looking at purchasing what is probably my fifth smartphone this fall. And it started back in 2010 with an iPhone. And I started my first smartphone experience with an iPhone 4. I had just quit um, my job and I was at for about 10 years. Smartphones were, were really becoming popular. And I was going to start some consulting and doing my own thing. And with that came the decision to get a smartphone and a lot of other things with that as well to start my, my own company. And where I went with that with the iPhone is because I was going to actually get a MacBook. And I wanted to start to have better integration with all of my products that I was using on a day-to-day basis. So um, using my MacBook Pro along with my iPhone, I ended up also purchasing a number of Apple TVs to start to be able to cast content to my TVs and stream and consume media that way. And it's, it was, you know, Apple made it very easy to do that. And they were probably one of the forefront, if not the forefront provider to really give consumers a way to buy multiple devices, have them work seamlessly together through casting, um, Wi-Fi, and the experiences were real simple, right? So your experience on an iPhone did translate into some of the experiences you had on your, your MacBook, and they kept it very consistent, they kept it very clean, and that was great. And I think those are that's exactly how ecosystems are supposed to be built. They're supposed to be brainless to use, work without a lot of difficulty, if any difficulty at all, and just work. And for a consumer, that's exactly how it should work. And for marketers and technologists, there's probably a little more finagling with that. But for consumers, it should be easy. And for a number of years, I was very happy with that ecosystem and living in the Apple world. Uh, while I wasn't really buying much else, I did end up getting my wife an iPhone too. So it was just that consistency. So when something went wrong, I knew how to deal with it. But it didn't take uh, maybe about a year or so, year and a half, um, my brother and I always like to kind of poke at each other as far as the different technologies we're using, different t- tools and solutions. And I was an Apple fanboy at that time, and he was actually on the Android bandwagon. We were at Christmas one year. I think we're at, I don't know, remember whose house it was. And we were just kind of showing off our different phones, right? So why is Apple so great? And I'm like, oh, it's about the simplicity. You know, just like everything's there. It's simple to use. Just swipe here, swipe there. And, and he was kind of saying, yeah, okay, I get that. But, you know, here's what Android can do. And this is, you know, Android in his infancy. We're talking, you know, way back in the, not even not sure, the Froyo, Froyo kind of operating system days. But it did kind of offer things like more personalization. He's like, I could actually turn on my Wi-Fi by a click of a button. Or I can drag, you know, do a swipe down and access more tools and do some more program settings. And it really made it more personalized to him. 
And it did get me to think like, hmm, you know, that is actually interesting. And of course, I was still very much an Apple fanboy at the time uh, and, you know, my ecosystem that I had. But it, it did get you to think like, hmm, maybe there is an idea to switch. Maybe there's a reason to look at something different because there are features and functionality that I actually felt I could enjoy more than just the simplicity of an Apple ecosystem. So as I was going through kind of into my biannual process, because I was at that point, you're really on two-year contracts, phones were subsidized, that type of stuff. Um, Android has started to make a little bit more of a name for itself, and Motorola started to get into the come back into the game. You know, they were really popular back in the, the 90s with their flip phones and early 2000s. But then they kind of died off, and, and they came back with the new Moto X. And the Moto X was supposed to be a more pure Android experience. A lot of service, a lot of providers were putting their own skins on stuff, um, made some of the user experience not that great. Updates weren't happening as often. And the Moto X was supposed to be something different. And it was in collaboration with Google, which also made things a little bit intriguing because at that point I was doing a lot more with a little bit within the Google ecosystem with using Office apps or the Google apps. And so I decided to actually make a switch. I didn't necessarily switch everything at that time in my house. I still you know, have a MacBook Pro and still had Apple TVs, but I, I definitely decided right, I'm going to try and go off and do something different with, with Google. And I really started to fall in love with that whole ecosystem enough that over the years, I didn't actually replace my Apple TVs with newer Apple TVs as they came out. When the first generation, you know, they still work, but they weren't really getting the updates that were necessary or needed or wanted. I actually started to go into Chromecast and then I started to get Google Home. Uh, I got those in my house after they started to come on and then the Google Home Mini. And I actually then upgraded to the Moto X, the third generation, which is a big phablet phone, which I actually ended up hating um, just due to the size. But I started to actually switch my ecosystem over, and that actually took some time, some energy, and some money to to do that. But I did get into what I like to think now, because I'm really, I use the digital assistant, the Google Assistant all the time. I actually don't like Siri at all. Um, There's just some better platforms and better solutions that Google was offering that I did make that switch. And that was a big decision because now it has implications for what new phone am I going to buy, and how does that work within all the tools that I use on a day-to-day basis to run my life, to manage my calendars, to have my kids have gotten used to to asking Google how to you know answer questions or you know things they want to research, uh, even just playing music in the house. We've gotten to adopt this new lifestyle, and by switching phones, it actually becomes an important decision to make sure that you are staying within the ecosystem you've now built. And I think to a certain degree, everyone can really relate to how ecosystems are in their life and affect their life. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there, I know there's a lot of people out there that don't think about all the different technologies that they buy and how it interacts together. And some of it has to be done through third-party systems, some of it has to be done directly, but you know, kids might have Amazon Fire tablets, uh, which is based off of Android and to a certain degree, but their parents might have iPhones. Um, you might have uh, different tablets, like mom and dad might have iPads. And how are you sharing apps? How are you, you know, are you buying something repetitively because just because you bought an app on your phone doesn't mean it can translate over to your kid's tablet because it's in a different platform. Those are just challenges I think all of us as consumers face today. And the reality is that just because we're facing as consumers, um, marketers and technologists and corporations face these same challenges day in and day out as they're actually trying to build their marketing technology ecosystems to support consumer experiences, customer experiences, data management, just general business operations. 
ecosystems are something that corporations have to look at day in and day out when they're trying to figure out how to run their business. So we're going to spend a little time today talking about the pros and cons of how ecosystems have evolved and the challenges. And I'm going to give a couple tips at the end, some things to think about as you're actually trying to look at your ecosystem and manage it moving forward. Okay, so let's start with a few simple examples of ecosystems that kind of help us run our day-to-day lives in the work, and then we'll get into some marketing technology stack examples. So do you use Office 365 or are you using Google Apps? Simple example, but certainly as you think about how you create content, whether it's word processing, document spreadsheets, a cloud storage, companies have to think about what solution they're going to use that has got the right security, it's got the right authentication components of it all, uh, ease of use for their employees, and simplicity of updating and continue to have improvements and refinements for the customer and user experience. So. Office has gone through an evolution where they're very much more standalone apps. They've moved to a a subscription model. They were really the only game in town for the most part uh, for a very long time. Google started to come into the the fold and offer solutions at a different price point. And now you have two pretty decent solutions that are out there for employers to choose for Office productivity. So let's take that example just a little bit further. So there's Office productivity and then there's business operations. And this is where if you're in the Google house, you are starting to run into some challenges. So for example, Google doesn't offer a customer relationship management system or or CRM. Microsoft does, it has Microsoft Dynamics. Microsoft Dynamics also does a lot of other things from sales management solutions, sales enablement solutions, marketing solutions, as well as industry specific solutions around things like retail, manufacturing, healthcare. And that starts to give organizations a lot of other opportunities to create an ecosystem to support their business. Microsoft also, and so does Google, have cloud solutions. So I'm not just talking about cloud storage, but actually cloud solutions to do things like machine learning and artificial intelligence and storage and application support. So again, we can find ways that ecosystems or organizations are building out ecosystems to support business needs more and more. And it's not just Google and it's not just Microsoft. There's a lot of other examples we could talk about as well. So for all the marketers listening and and your counterparts in the technology departments, let's talk about how ecosystems affect the way you create and deliver customer experiences. So when you think of your MarTech stack, there's a lot of ways you can slice and dice the way you create those experiences. So you can either go with what we call right best of breed. I'm going to select the point solution in a specific category that solves a specific need, and I'm going to buy that solution and then find a way to integrate it with all my other technologies to seamlessly create customer experiences from start to finish. Or you can do what's also known as you know, buying a enterprise play where you have more digital experience platforms already created through acquisitions and, and creation that are give you a good starting point. And then you can build in and bolt on other um, point solutions as necessary that don't fit inside what the platform exists, uh, already offers. So for example, Adobe, Salesforce, and SAP are three really big platform solutions that range anywhere to support SMBs, small businesses, to enterprise-level global organizations and all the solutions that they do offer. So Adobe, as an example, they have three clouds. They have their Creative Cloud, also known as Photoshop, Illustrator, um, the, those solutions to create 
artifacts and assets and marketing content. Then you have the marketing cloud, or excuse me, the experience cloud that has a number of clouds inside of it, but it's really about marketing content delivery for organizations and optimization and analyzing the impact of that content that's being marketed and, and put out in the marketplace. And then they have their document cloud, which is uh, addition into that's basically Acrobat and Sign and other tools that can really integrate with other solutions for the back office operationalization of things um, and interact with other solutions like Adobe Forms to help make those experiences more seamless. Salesforce is another big platform that's out there that supports up and down the entire kind of size of your business. They started as a CRM platform. They didn't really come at the world from a content creation and content marketing. They started with the person um, and how to then build solutions around understanding the 360 degrees of you as a customer and then where you deploy solutions to support that engagement and support that analysis of your behavior working with an organization. So they also have CRM, which Adobe doesn't have, um, but they also have technology to do commerce, they have technology to do email marketing, they have technology to do social media, uh, and it just goes on and on. SAP, another platform, enterprise platform, they started more in the commerce world. They also started in the ERP side. Actually, they started in ERP and then built onto commerce by acquiring Hybris. And they've built out their solutions, including marketing as well. The bigger point is that there's these big behemoth solutions that are out there, but even those solutions, those platforms, still don't do everything. And that's when you need to think about how are the additional technologies you're going to buy and integrate work with those solutions as best as possible. So I did say this was a love-hate relationship story of the, for the podcast today. And I think all of us can kind of reminisce a little bit, you know, misery might love company. Um, we all probably have our horror stories of, wow, I didn't know this wasn't going to work as well as I thought it was. The, the salesperson said it was going to integrate and it really doesn't. And how now we've spent more money, time, and energy. We missed a deadline. These are all things that kind of come into play as you're building out your marketing technology stack. And the, the hate part is that nothing ever goes as well as you think it's going to, and the plans never really work out. Um, the love is when they do go really well, and you can integrate, and the customers get that value. Your employees, your internal teams get operational efficiency, and that is where the beauty of, of integrations work really well together. Now... Back in the day, we used to say, you know, you either kind of fall into the, I'm going to go with .NET solutions, or I'm going to go with Java solutions, or kind of pick your programming language flavor. You wanted to kind of keep certain things in mind as you're building out your ecosystems, because there are certain foundational things that um, IT and management had to think about from a support perspective that not everyone always thinks about when they're buying solutions. And so this is where it gets a little bit complicated. IT and marketing have gotten better at collaborating and executing plans in tandem when they're trying to build out your customer experience solutions. But still to this day, especially with the plethora of options that are out there, if you just look at the marketing technology infographic of the six to seven to 8,000 uh, solutions that can really, in many cases, be fired up for free trials and with a month-to-month -month credit card so, you know, payment, you can have these things fired up almost instantaneously that they don't always integrate the best with what you have. They're not as well thought through. Sometimes people go rogue. Departments might go rogue. I'm sure none of us have ever had that happen before. And are buying technologies to try out either in POC or they're not thinking about the bigger picture. So I think it's really important as you're looking at your marketing technology stacks 
and how you're building them to support customer experiences, that you have a central team that is truly thinking through the impact of the decisions you're making, whether they be technology purchases, specific integrations, how data is flowing back and forth. Governance has become more and more important. And we talked a little bit about that on the, the first podcast, but that wasn't even to the point of like data management, data governance, how data transfers, who sees what, what is the system of record. These are all important factors that come into play because when those integrations don't work and when customers can will easily see when they don't work, uh, that is going to affect how people want to engage with you and your company, engage with your brand, um, become consumers of your brand or repeat purchasers. And you want to avoid that at possible cost when you because you want to actually think through these decisions together instead of in a silo. And here's a perfect example of this, and everyone's faced this. When was the last time you started to go through a sign-in process to make a purchase and you had to enter your information in multiple times as you traverse between a website and then a commerce system because something didn't work correctly? I'm sure we all have done it. It may not be that exact example, but it's like those scenarios where you're even dialing in on a phone to customer service. They ask you for your reservation number. You get past the next person and they have to ask you for your reservation number again. And that's because systems are not talking to each other to make that customer experience better. And that's what we want to avoid. So as you think through this, I guess my kind of starting to go with some tips around how you can make your relationships with your customers better by having a better marketing technology stack really revolves around, I'm going to call kind of three fundamental things you should do as an organization. First tip, I've already kind of said it, but it's worth repeating. First and foremost, don't go it alone. Have a committee, have a team of people from multiple parts of the business, not just marketing, not just IT, Get your product teams involved, get other divisions involved if have to, get a representative from finance. You want to have a team that truly understands what you're trying to accomplish and then the technology gaps that exist and how you're going to solve for them. Because we've all been there with budgets that get constrained, something doesn't work right, um, you go over budget. Those are the examples that are leading the people that are bigger decision makers to not want to invest in the technologies that are necessary. So having a committee, having a focus, understanding how you're going to continue to evolve your ecosystem and stack things together is really important to have. My second tip is build the right use cases to support the needs that you have. If for whatever reason you need to start thinking about switching out a technology, which is has costs associated with that, and that's the thing that everyone kind of starts to get worried about, understand what is not being satisfied in the current technology and then what new technology can be brought into play that supports that business case. You need that ROI, that lift that's going to come out of doing a swap because swaps are never easy. You have to break contracts sometimes. You have to understand how data is going to get extracted out, who actually owns all that data. Um, That's a whole other conversation when you're dealing with platforms and a SaaS environment and free ones specifically at that. So understand that there's everything you do should have a business case and a use case there to support it. My third tip is as you're looking at the technologies you're looking to implement to bring on to support a specific use case, to look at your part of your customer experience lifecycle you need to fix, also make sure you're looking at the teams that are needed to support that technology. So if it's a SaaS solution, IT might not need to be involved as much because it might just be a data connection and a a connector and some security, but your marketing team might need to adjust and you might need to bring in new skills or retrain existing employees to adapt that and to support that new tool. It's not uncommon to have 
a lot of upper management look at investment in technologies and wonder what ROI am I getting out of it? And part of that is your teams are not supporting the, the actual full-blown use of those solutions because you're not investing in your people to actually be trained, cross-trained, backup trained to maximize that implementation because there's definitely a skill gap that still exists out there and technologies are always advancing and, and we are just not catching up as fast as we need to. So those are my thoughts. It's, it's a, not an easy topic to talk about. Uh, it's certainly not an easy thing if you're in the middle of building out ecosystems to support customer experiences or support any part of a business. Ecosystems are important because you want things to plug and play together. Certainly technology is advanced where APIs have become much, much more robust than they were in the past. There's certainly a lot of other ways that connections can happen. There's third-party integration tools that can help connect tools together. Anything can really work with technology. The question is, how much do you want to spend to support it? What skills do you need to have internally to make sure you're maximizing the benefit of these solutions? And also making sure you're not buying things that are in redundancy to other platforms you already have. You just might not be using functionality that already exists. I can go on more and more. I'm not going to. I'm going to stop here. But I wanted to kind of wrap up this podcast with, so I'm in a little bit of a conundrum when I come back to my phone purchase that I need to have this year. So I've been on the Pixel 2 for the last two years, and I was waiting for the Pixel 4 to come out. And everything has been a little more incremental. Google has never been the the best flagship, the sexiest flagship that phone that's been out there. They certainly have been very much the leader in photo technology, and I'm a mobile photographer. But um, this year, they, they didn't really start to deliver the goods on this one. Battery life is um, not great because of a new 90 hertz screen. Their lead in photography and mobile photography has really started to drop. Apple has caught up. Other providers have caught up as well. So there's not as much of an advantage there anymore. And then, of course, I watched a video last night on YouTube for this uh, guy from Jerry Rig Everything. He's a great YouTuber that likes to dismantle and test out phones. He basically broke the Pixel 4 in four places by, you know, very simply and very easily, which just makes you think how much did they actually battle test the build of the phone and where they put the antennas. And I'm going into more detail than you guys need to know that. But I think the bigger part is now what do I do? Do I go find another Android phone that might not have the best user experience using the phone? I'm not sure I'm really hip on going on with Samsung. They don't do updates as, as regularly, but, or do I go with Apple and, and switch at least the phone and start to load more Google apps so I can still use my Google ecosystem on my house. But then does that really kind of conflict with what I've established? And now I have this mental thought of, again, all the switching costs and what do I want to do around there? So as much as my personal life is, woe is me, I got to buy a phone and all the things that it has, the ramifications that go with that, because it is something I use on a daily basis for hours in a day, and I want to make sure it's the right purchase for the money that I'm going to spend. It's insignificant compared to what organizations spend on a yearly basis when it comes to building out their marketing technology stacks to create great customer experiences. So that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. If you have a thought and opinion around marketing technology stacks and your love-hate for them, please hit me up on Twitter. I am at According to Fred or connect with me on LinkedIn and let's have a discussion. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, have a great day.